mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 1, we're going to begin this small, it's called a letter, but really the three baby Johns, as we refer to them, they're not really written in letter form. They're not addressed to anybody, and they're almost like a little sermon. And it was written somewhere between, okay, this is a big, they don't know when, but I'm thinking between 90 and 100 A.D., written by John, even though his name is not there. Early church fathers believe clearly that all three of them bear his mark. Um, written, again, after the book of Revelation. John wrote the Gospel John, the fourth Gospel. It's not one of the synoptic. I don't know if you know. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic. They're a lot alike. They're synonymous. But then some 35 years later, John writes his Gospel, the Gospel of John. Then he, he goes and gets, when they try to kill him, they can't kill him. So they cast him out on the island of Patmos. And he writes the book of Revelation. And then many believe that he came back later, even after rebuking the church at Ephesus uh, in chapter 2 of Revelation. He tells them they have left their first love. And he becomes a preacher there at Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, and, of course, Turkey today is about 99% Muslims. You can't be a Christian there. And what they really feel like is that he begins in, in his elderly years He's, he's, he's doing sermons or preaching, and he sends these out like a circular letter, but he doesn't put anybody on them so everybody can actually um, take the content and receive it as personal. And, of course, he's writing to you and I down the corridor of time. We can look at these books and or these letters, whatever you tend to call them. It's like a sermon reading over his shoulder what he would be preaching to the church there in Ephesus as he pastored it. So, um, again, the three Gospels, they believe that he probably wrote it. Now, that's newer belief, that he wrote it after Revelation. For a long time, they thought that he wrote it after. I know this isn't pertinent to anything that you're going to do today or next week or next year. It's just some information I learned in, in, in preparing to introduce a book to you. They thought for a long time that Revelation was his last book. But they think by the content that, uh, and knowing that he died, it was it was uh, he died and was buried there in Ephesus, and there's a tomb built over him that he was back there. So all of that uh, to say that as an elderly pastor, because uh, he was the youngest of the disciples. Remember Peter, James, and John, the inner three 
with Jesus, um, he writes, and he uses these enduring terms, little children, little born-again ones. And he's writing, wanting them uh, uh, to, you know, he's really kind of fathering them, but pastoring them at the same time. Uh, and, you know, we are supposed to be as little children. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We're supposed to come into this family. We're supposed to be little born-again ones. And, and, of course, that doesn't mean to be childish. Many people come to salvation, and they're still childish. We're supposed to mature in the faith. We're supposed to become like little children that are dependent upon their father, dependent upon God for everything for life and godliness, but not childish in our actions. We're supposed to learn to obey and coming back into this family of God, we're supposed to begin to follow what he has called us to do, to obey his commandments and to be in fellowship with him. So he writes for uh, several reasons. I think that one, two, three, about five different reasons he's going to say, uh, and in our text this morning, we'll see that. Uh, in verse 4, he writes that your joy may be full. That's the first one. We'll touch upon them as we get to them. And I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. Uh, normally, I will give you um, like a key verse for that, what I believe is the key verse of the book. And obviously, one of the most important verses is 513, where he says, I write these things so that you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. I believe that's probably the main key verse, but I want to give you something else, and you should commit that to memory. See, it's a book of certainty, and we should know for certain that we have a relationship. He's going to come through, and he's going to be writing when he, in this. He's going to give us some things that helps us understand. It's kind of like a litmus test. You know, a lot of times we go around and we go, well, I dress like those guys, and I go to the same church as them, and I must be saved because I live in America. But he gives us a real litmus test when he compares light and darkness, when he, calls, when he compares truth and lie, when he, when he compares uh, 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 loving the world and loving God, he gives us a real litmus test about our heart. But see, we use all of these other things as our test. We'll look at, and I'm doing what they're doing, and I'm going where they're at, and I'm doing what, that's nothing to do with really our life in God. It's nothing to do with true salvation. So he gets right down to the rub of the road, and he begins to introduce us once again. And I was actually reading somebody, and they said that this is the book you should really get new believers to read and start them off in the right direction where there is clear. There's no gray. There's clear light and darkness. He, and he's pretty matter-of-fact about what he says, and he doesn't make any apologies. So anyway, the verse that I want to give you as the key verse is 3, 23, and 24. And I just couldn't wait to get to them. That's the only reason I did it like this. So um, he's writing just like he did in the Gospel of John when he wrote so many years later because really think about it. There's already three witnesses and the Old Testament was by the mouth of two or three witnesses let a matter be established. There was already three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, what happened? 
he wrote the Gospel of John because some 35 years after those Gospels were written, uh, something called Gnosticism began to arise. And it's always around. It's always there. It's, it's, it's in the secular world. It's in the church. And, and remember, Gnostics or, or uh, uh, Gnosgos is the word for knowledge. And Gnosticism became, or agnostic. Are you guys familiar with the word agnostic? Well, it's Gnosticism. You put an A on the front of it, and it means no knowledge. And that's what people say when they say they're agnostic. It's, it's actually uh, uh, related to the Latin for ignoramus. I'm ignorant. I don't know anything. And that, I always pick on people that say they're agnostic. And I take them to that, and I say, well, then you're just saying you're ignorant. You should be finding out, really, before you die, if there's a God, and not being an agnostic. A means no. No knowledge is all they're saying. Oh, I believe there's a God, but I'm agnostic. I don't know who he is. I have no knowledge. Anyway, Gnosticism is kind of, the, it's kind of like the opposite. Maybe not, but kind of. They believe they have super knowledge. They believe they know so much more than anybody else. And that if you don't have their knowledge, then you really can't have a relationship with God. And, and, and that's what Gnosticism is. And it entered the church, and they were going around, they were even following Paul, and they were trying to get everybody to listen to what they were saying and ignore the true gospel. Only listen to what we're telling you. And the main thing that they would say is that all flesh is evil, and that Jesus was just a spirit. He couldn't have came in the flesh because flesh is evil. And that's what they would try to convince people. And they would even say, like, so you can do anything you want in the flesh, but it's your spirit that's being saved. Now, listen, in a sense, that knowledge is true. But what Paul, or excuse me, what John wants us to know, both in the Gospel of John and in this book of John, the first John, his longest sermon, is that Jesus indeed was in the flesh. He, God became man and dwelt among us. And those are tenets of the faith that you have to believe. But Gnosticism would say, no, he didn't. That, that he, was, he was born and he lived for 30 years. And then at 30 years old, when he was baptized, Jesus came upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him and filled him and did his little three and a half year ministry. Then he died because his flesh was sinful. And you just have to know that Gnosticism always wants to take you someplace other than the Word of God. And so John is going to keep us in this litmus test, in this place of, of showing us how to compare this and how to know if you're following truth, how to know if you're living truth or whether you're following some super knowledge or some other knowledge of fitting into some clique. I mean, think about it right now. Uh, the people running the world that are being led by the devil, a one world government, they all have a super knowledge. We're stupid. We're the stupid people that have the book, and they believe that there's more than two genders. They believe in evolution, a big bang theory. Here's the super knowledge in the secular world, and it brings it into the church, is that you have to know all these things. And didn't you get educated? And don't you understand? And they have all these theories that are fluid, and then they want you to believe them and think you're stupid if you just believe the simplicity of the Word of God. Gnosticism is the same type of spirit that enters the church, and really all it is is the spirit of Antichrist. It's just falseness that leads you away from the simplicity of the gospel. So he's always going to, he's not going to bring up their beliefs. He's not going to bring up what they say. What he's going to do is just keep directing you back to the word of God, the simplicity of God, the witness of God. 
And so that's what we're supposed to always remember is that now we have these 66 books to get into. This is not complicated, but man will complicate it. And we will come up with all kinds of things. And we, we love to do things. You guys, you guys love to do things? You want to be religious? Well, I don't feel safe, Greg, so I need to go out and do something. Can't I go out and put shoes on somebody that's homeless? Can't I go out and feed the poor? See, those things might happen, but they don't save you. Works don't save you. It's the blood of Jesus. And when we get away from that and we begin to add something else, it's not just false religion, but in this case, it was Gnosticism, and you need to know that. So do you guys turn with me to 323? I wanted to, to look at this, and I really want to dig down on this, and I want you to think about it. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he's telling us the same thing that Jesus said. If you remember the week of questioning, just before, you know, he's, he, he's following this whole week in, in the month of Nisan where he's going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and he's going to be sacrificed just like the Passover lamb. And they have what's called the week of questioning, where they're getting acquainted with him, and they're asking him questions. And when he answers the Pharisees and the Sadducees, now a lawyer comes to him, a scribe. It, just look at it, Matthew 22, let's look at it. And Jesus says the same thing, and all John is doing is in simplicity, he's repeating what Jesus has already told us. And that's what we should be doing, is repeating the word of God. It's the only thing that strikes a person's conscience and gives them a decision to make whether I'm going to believe God or keep believing the lie, the Word of God. So it's 22, chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 34, and it's in the last week of questioning. They're questioning Him, they're investigating, they're saying, is He the Messiah? And they're going to conclude, crucify Him, crucify Him. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Listen, don't test God. Don't tempt him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And, of course, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, right? They're not ten suggestions. They're ten commandments. The great physician, listen to me, I talked about this last week, or maybe the week before. The word commandment means a prescription. See, it's no surprise that the devil wants us on pharmacy because the, the great God in heaven has already given us a prescription for our souls. He's already given us a prescription that fits how to live life. And I wouldn't let anybody else work underneath my hood if I were you. And so he says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two prescriptions hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that was ever in the law, everything that the prophets ever, the word of God that they got from God and foretold to everybody else, all hang on these two commandments. And this is what John is going to repeat to us. Now listen to me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first four of the Ten Commandments. The first tablet always was vertical relationship with God. The second tablet uh, uh, of five to six, starting with honor your parents, 
It's the first commandment with a promise that you'll live long in the land. 5 through 10, they all deal with horizontal, your neighbors. And that's how Jesus brought them down to two commandments. Not three like some people will teach. Sometimes they slip this in. Here's your Gnosticism. Here's your false teaching. Well, wait a minute. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength unless you first love yourself. You can't love your neighbor unless you first love yourself. See, this is where psychology and all of these things have entered into the church. Jesus doesn't say, this would have been a great time for God incarnate, love, of the, love incarnate, the, 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 you know, to say, well, learn to love yourself, and then you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But he didn't say that. See, because the problem you and I are born with in sin is that we love ourselves too much already. So what he wants to do is get the focus off of us and get it on him first and our neighbor second and us last. And in fact, you're going to see as we finish this and close it, that that's how joy happens. Jesus, others, and then yourself. That's the acrostic for joy. If you want to have joy... Get your eyes off yourself. What does being locked up with a mask on your face and worried about vaccines happen? What does all this do? It gets you locked into your house, depressed, full of anxiety, and focused on self, not on others. You can't even go out and do anything with others. You know, it's always been Christians that come out and help with the bubonic plague. It was Christians that were in the streets serving people, taking care of people, doctoring people because they weren't afraid of death. But today, Christians are scared to death to die. They don't understand in their identity that this is the finish line. This is getting back to the Father. This is where we long to be if we truly understand what God has done, what he's doing and what he's going to do. So joy is the first thing that he's going to point out that happens in the life of a believer who's having fellowship with God and fellowship with others. But notice he's going, to, he's going to really hone down on him. He's going to get that shovel and dig deep. He might get a backhoe. we got to wake up in the church because we're listening to the devil, to the government, to self, and fear. And fear will destroy you. Fear will kill your faith completely. Fear is the opposite of trust. Unless it's used morally. And then when it's used morally, it's reverence to God. It's revering him. But when it's used to control your emotions and control your decisions instead of the Spirit leading you, gee, Christ's perfect love casts out all fear. We're going to see this in the book of John, 1 John. Give me a little liberty when I say John too many times because I'll probably say it instead of saying 1 John or baby John. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind, 1 Timothy 1.7. So if God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control or sound mind, and we're being led by the Spirit, shouldn't we have those things? But see, the church is being led by the world, by earthly, central, demonic wisdom. The church is being led by fear and by the same emotions and the same stimulus that the world is being led by. And we feel okay with that because they're doing that. But that's not the litmus test. As to, to know Jesus, the litmus test is, first of all, do I believe? Second of all, am I being led by the Spirit? 
Is my life changing and I'm stopping fellowshipping with darkness and I'm beginning to fellowship with light? And we're going to see all this come out. But I just wanted you to see that the commandment is a prescription. And the only one I was sharing with a guy that came and bought my tractor yesterday. And I'll throw it out there. You can throw it out. I've shared it with you before. It's uh, winter, 1918, maybe 1920. A young man broke down. His car isn't running. He can't get it started. He's on a bridge in Chicago. It's cold. It's windy. And this long car pulls up. And a guy steps out. He takes his coat off. And he lays it down in his seat. And he walks over. And he says, what seems to be the problem? He said, well, I can't get it to start. He says, well, do you mind if I look? He says, go ahead. So he looks under the hood. And he begins to tinker. And then he says, crank it over. And he cranks it over, and it starts right up. And he said, how did you do that? And he said, I'm Henry Ford. I created this. I know how it runs. And listen to me. This is so important that we get this, is that God is our creator. He is the one we're supposed to please. You don't want anybody tinkering under your hood that did not create you, that's still trying to figure out what's going on here. They're still trying to isolate and say, wait a minute, what's that for? What's this for? This side of the brain. I met a gentleman that came. He's 30 years old right now. His name is Luke. Luke was a doctor. He did an autopateo of the scriptures. That's an autopsy of all the body of Christ. That's what we do today. That's where we get all those words from, from the Bible. We do autopsies on dead bodies. Well, Luke did one of the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and wrote the gospel of Luke. Here's Luke. And I was like, wow, that's an amazing name. And his grandpa Steve was with him. And he said, yeah, but boy, he was born dead. And I go, yeah, well, we all are spiritually. He goes, no. When he was born, his heart didn't work and his lungs didn't work. And I go, wow. He goes, he's 30 years old now. He goes, I go, well, what happened? And so he starts telling me that they kept him alive, and then they did what's called rebirthing. I've never heard of it, rebirthing. After about a week on machine, they go, okay, listen, we're going to rebirth him, and he's going to die. We just know he's going to die. And they took everything off of him, and he starts breathing, and his heart starts beating by itself. And they go, well, he's going to be a vegetable. He's never going to amount to nothing. He's not going to be able to walk. And they start telling him all this stuff. And here he is, 30 years old. He just drove his grandpa there to look at my tractor. And we're talking. And he knows the gospel. He knows Jesus Christ. And so it's pretty amazing um, what we see. Why did I tell you that, that, that uh, as a testimony? I forget where I was at. But I loved it. I was like, my goodness. And he's like, now I need kidneys. Because ki- he's on the, the donor list. His kidneys are... Uh, not working real good. Listen to me. You don't have to believe their science. They're, oh, that's what I was telling you about. They're under the hood. They're telling you all this stuff, but that's the reason they call it practicing. I'm not picking on any doctors. I'm not picking on any nurses. By the way, last year they were heroes. Today they're zeros. Nurses went from heroes to zeros. They were in the, in the emergency rooms catching COVID and fighting for people's lives. And now because they won't listen to the vaccination, they're firing them. And now you're not going to have nobody in your hospitals. I didn't go political. This is life. Their science, their theories, everything they say changes to fit their platform of what they want to do to you. God never changes. He's the unchanging one. 
Everything that he's asked you to do, told you to do, everything that he's done for you, it's still the same. It's written down here. You can't, you, the only people trying to change it is the devil when they write new Bibles and try to take Jesus out and take the blood out. Listen to me. I'm not telling you not to go to the doctor. I'm not telling you not to listen to the doctor. But I know that with me and my wife, after the doctor says something, we pray about it. We don't just follow somebody that's practicing. I wouldn't let them do that to my car. Why is that not doing that? Well, I think it might be the starter. It could be. Well, maybe we better do some more tests. Oh, no, let's just start replacing parts. I don't let them do it with my car. Why would I let them do it with my wife or with my own body? Be careful what you're letting them do to you. I'm not, I'm not speaking against them. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying you do all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. And his peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You should be praying about it. Not just letting somebody just because they say they're professional. You know what you call a doctor that graduated last in his class? That's right. It's a great joke, but it's true. So no matter how smart they are, somebody had to graduate last. And I would much rather listen to God and then talk with the doctor and let's decide together the way it used to work in our communities. My wife's aunt died when we was at the funeral yesterday. We went and ate with her uncle. And he said he was talking about a doctor from years ago. And I know I'm telling you stories, but I want you to understand the application. And he said, I went over there to the doctor, and the doctor, he took off his shoe. He said, my foot was hurting something terrible. And he goes, that's gout. He goes, but we better go do some blood work just to make sure. But I know it's gout. And doctors used to be more personal. They could look at something. They would know it. But now we got to have a test for everything. Now we got to do everything. And we call that getting smarter, but it's not always getting smarter. Sometimes it's just what we call in the business, padding the bill. Sorry, get mad at me if you want. When you know it's gout, just call it gout and just treat it for gout. And you don't have to go back every year for the next 20 years, which is what they do. And then charge your bill. Where in the world is he at? First John. Who's, who, who are you believing? You're going to believe God? You're going to follow his prescription? Listen, it, it, once you follow his prescription, it gets you in line, vertical first, then horizontal. Now I'm following his prescription, his commandments, his ways. I'm allowing his spirit to lead me. And now I can look and evaluate the horizontal relationships I got. Is this a doctor I really want to go to? Or do I need to find a different one? Is this a lawyer I really want to go to? Or do I need to find one that knows God and is not going to go in there and try to cut somebody's head off just to win? But he's going to tell the truth. If you really want to get to the truth, you don't need a lawyer that knows how to twist everything. You just need a lawyer that knows how to go in there and defend you and present your case properly. See, so everything's done now from a heavenly perspective, from, from true salvation. It's not, you're not saved just because you go to church. You're not saved just because you say, I'm a Christian. We're going to see the true litmus test here. As we enter into this, but I want you to get that. Look, where am I at? Where are you at? 324 says, 
Let's read 3.23 again. And this is his prescription, that we should believe, that, that's the word pistio. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ on the name. Notice it's not just believe, just somewhere out there just hanging by itself. All you got to do is believe. How many times have I heard Christians say that? All you got to do is believe in what? The name of his son. It's so specific, Jesus the Christ. Name means his character, his nature, his will, his government. We can add to that. It's, it's, it's everything that he's doing. It's who he is. His name is his character. And he's the son of God. And Jesus is Jehovah is salvation. That's what it means. Joshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Some people pronounce it. And Christ is Messiah or the anointed of God, the Mashiach of God. He's the one that was, for this specific reason, sent the provision for the sin nature. And then what, Greg, after you believe on that name, that person, love one another. See, because if you don't believe on that person correctly and you're not getting the spirit of God, you can never receive love. You go out and you go, well, I'm just going to love my neighbor. Well, what does that mean? I can let them do any sin they want, live any way they want, and go straight to hell. That's not love. Love believes first in God, and then begins to appropriate that horizontally where, you know what, even if you hate me later, I'm going to tell you the truth of the gospel. Even if you're mad at me, I'm going to tell you the truth. See, because that's what love did when he come and took flesh. They hated him so much they killed him. Listen to me. Love came and told him the truth, and they killed him for it. Yet the church can walk around and do anything they want, and nobody's killing them. Well, they are in other countries because they're telling them the truth. Over here in America, we have what's called culturanity, and we think we're okay and we're saved and we're Christians because we go to church and then we go out there and do nothing. And we can walk around and live that way. Muslim countries, they put them on a meat hook and hang them up and gut them like an animal if they're a Christian. Oh, yeah. And Christians that call themselves Christians in America will say, well, if they really believe they're serving God, then that's their God, then that's okay. That's what Christians in America say. Instead of looking at the Word of God and saying, here's the true test. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ? It's, some texts even say Jesus of Nazareth. They tell you that where he was born at in the flesh. There's, there's specifics here. It's not just... Some, some, some things that you just go, oh, I just believe, I just trust, I just. And then love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll tell them the truth. If you love the people that you say you love, you will say the truth even when it's going to hurt. Even when it might damage your physical relationship, you want their conscience to know that Jesus is real. And he gave us prescription. Now look at 24. This is what I'm telling you. 3, 23, and 24, I think, is the key that I want to hone down in. In our day, in our time, even though we know that we need to know Jesus and continue in his word and continue to believe, now he who keeps his prescription abides, makes your house in him, and he in him. Again, we see the reminiscence of John 15 where John writes his gospel, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, Jesus speaking, 
If a man abide in me and I in him, you bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. You don't need a calculator to know what nothing is. But look what he says. He who keeps his prescription abides, lives in him. And when you're keeping it, what does he do? He lives in you. And by this we know, gnosko, that he abides, he lives in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And then he goes on to say, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. You're supposed to, just because somebody says, oh, I believe in Jesus. And then you start talking about the Bible and they go, oh, my goodness, I got to get out of here. They don't want to talk about it. Listen, the word of God, the truth of God, the prescription of God is not abiding in them. So do they really know God? I'm not telling you that I can tell you who's saved and who's not saved. Obviously, the guy that hung on the cross and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to learn the scriptures. He didn't have time to abide. All he did was we see the contrition and he was railing on Jesus. And then he looked at the other guy and he said, are you going to keep doing that? This is the son of God. And he said, remember me, Lord, when you enter your kingdom today. And he said, you'll be with me today in paradise. But his heart changed and God knew that. But we have time right now, you and I, to learn. And, and again in John, and I'm going to bring this up a lot because John's gospel and John's three baby gospels, they have a lot of contents that's the same because he's, he's fighting with Gnosticism, this super knowledge or false doctrine that if you just say a prayer, you're fine. You get to go to heaven. It's just not true. Unless there's evidence that I'm in you and you're in me, as Jesus would say. So he says in John 8, 31 and 32, to the Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. From what? The lie. You won't be in bondage to the lie because there's all this knowledge of the world and the devil and it's demonic and then there's God's truth. Well, what happened, Greg? Well, in the garden, Eve believed the devil's lie and the devil's knowledge and the devil's con. And so you and I are born enemies to God. You and I are born separated from God. And we have to deal with everything that we take in through our eyes or our heart to know whether it lines up with the Word of God. So we put the sunglasses of the Bible on. Well, wait a minute. I don't know the Word of God. Exactly. This is what we need to learn. This is our litmus test. This is what's going to help us understand. But we have the Spirit of God in us that will automatically let you know. If you let the great physician do it, he's the one that knows all truth. He guides you into all truth. He teaches you all truth. So if you're allowing the Spirit God to lead your life, and somebody tells you to do something that's evil, and you go, well, that sounds like fun, because sin does seem fun for a season. And then you go, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit's kind of like a, a little check. It's convicting me. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And then you have to decide, then, am I going to follow God? And stop this, or am I going to keep doing this and follow the devil and follow the lie? And that's your choice. So I believe that the verses we need to look at is to understand 
that God has given us a commandment. And if we're going to say that we're Christians, if we say, four times he's going to say in this book, if we say this, then this should be true. If we say our yes should be yes and our no should be no, and we should keep his prescription so that he can abide in us and we can abide in him and have fellowship with him. Now, let's start the book. You want to? I know that was a lot. But where's your heart today? Listen to me. Where's your heart today? Is it following God? Does it desire to follow God? Does it really want to follow God? Or does it want to keep doing what it's always done? Because salvation delivers us out of darkness. Salvation delivers us from the lie. Salvation, the blood of Jesus, delivers us to, into a family. Into a new home. To a new and living way of life. And we have to make some decisions. I'm only going to cover four verses, so don't freak out like I was going to go a long way. But there's a lot in these first four, four verses. John 1, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you also, excuse me, we declare to you, let me read that again, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The first of our reasons why He writes us. Father, settle our hearts and help us to understand what you would say to your church. Pour out your Spirit here today. In Jesus' name, amen. That which was from the beginning. Now notice John is going to start out and he wants to deal with Gnosticism like we talked about. They said that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Right? That he was just a spirit because all flesh is evil. That which was from the beginning which we have heard. So he spoke. They heard it. He's given an eyewitness account, given testimony, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the words of life. So notice all these things that happened, that which was from the beginning, and then they heard him speak, they heard his voice, they seen him with their eyes, and then they touched him. They handled him. So he was definitely in the flesh. He was definitely here, and he definitely spoke. It wasn't some spirit floating around. Did I already tell you guys about that, like in the New Testament? Or excuse me, in the, in the King James, it says ghost. I don't know if you guys know that. 
for all of you that think that's really clever, and I, I seen a guy the other day that was a ghost chaser, and he doesn't understand that that's a spirit, that's a demon spirit. And see, we've kind of changed that to where we say now, Holy Spirit, instead of the King James says, Holy Ghost. So then you really see that those are, those are the same things. Ghost and spirit's the same thing. Same thing. And when you're chasing a ghost or you're thinking, oh, that house is haunted, it's got a ghost, or you're playing Halloween because that's coming up, it's the most evilest holiday on the planet. Trying to have fellowship with some demons, some ghosts, trying to dress our kids up like goblins, it's quickly overtaking Christmas, which is about the birth of Jesus. Decorations are quickly surpassing the sales of Christmas ornaments because this world is getting so evil. That which was from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the gospel is what this beginning is. But you know what? There's other beginnings. There's the beginning in Genesis 1-1. And here's where where people have their problem. If you can't get past Genesis 1-1, you can't get nothing in the Bible. I mean, think about it. If you read any book... If you can't get past the introduction, how can you get anything in the Bible? The whole book of Genesis, this word beginning means origins, the commencement of something. And the very first line of the Bible is, in the beginning, God created. Notice he doesn't try to give a whole dissertation about who he is and that he exists and everything about him. It's just a declaration that God makes in his word, that in the beginning, I created. If you can't get past God being the creator, then you can't get anything else because now you're going to start believing all the world's lies. You have to first believe that this God could speak and create the heavens and the earth. Now, what's that? It's his voice. What's he trying to do today? He still wants you to hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice, not like they children of Israel in their rebellion and they all fell dead in the wilderness, but today, if you will hear his voice and follow him. It's always been about his voice. Everything that you know and I know from in Genesis, that's another beginning. It begins with creation. God created. Not some fluid theory that keeps moving and they call it evolution. It's not true. Not true. To believe in a Big Bang Theory or in evolution, you would also have to be able to believe, and I know you, you guys have heard this before, is that like the library down the street here blew up, and while it was in the air and then it came and landed, it created a perfect set of encyclopedias. Out of chaos, blowing up does not create order. See, in fact, that's what God came to destroy was the chaos of your life, the chaos that the devil brings. He gives you perfect peace and perfect rest. The universes didn't run into each other and create order. God created. God spoke. As we said last week, there's going to be a big bang when all of the elements melt and the atoms explode. That's going to be a big bang. That's how it's going to end, not how it begins. And you can choose to believe that God created and start with that. And if you believe that, then everything else makes sense. But that's not something anybody can intellectually wrangle you into. 
That's a work of the Spirit. I can't intellectually wrangle you into it. I can read this Bible from cover to cover to you and talk to you. But if you don't stop resisting and hardening your heart toward the Spirit of God who's in the world to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. God's already done everything for us. We just have to believe and hear his voice and follow him. So that's a beginning. God created. That's the beginning of the planet. Here's the beginning, the beginning of the gospel. When you look at his first, uh, the beginning of 1 John, it's the beginning of, of Jesus' actual incarnation in the flesh, virgin birth. Although he was from the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, the gospel John, big John. In the beginning was the word, logos. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John 1, 1. And then he goes on to talk about, well, let's just look there. John 1, the Gospel, John 1. We want to see the beginnings. And this is a beginning that you cannot even comprehend. We don't even know this beginning because he's this self-existing one. He never had a beginning. He's God. He's always been God. He's the great I am. But we know that he was there. But he never had a beginning. He never has an origin. We're not, we don't, we don't, none of that exists. Look, in the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God alongside. They're in fellowship. They're enjoying perfect fellowship as the Trinity. And the word was God, so we know that the Logos is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. See, you can't, you can't turn on the, okay, I believe now, I'm turning on the light. It has to be a spiritual awakening where the spirit, and you say, Lord, show me that you're real. Just reveal it to me because he has to reveal it. There's a time with every person that he reveals that. And it's your choice to choose that and then to begin to foster that and water that by getting into the word and growing. But when you don't get into the word and grow and you just think you said a prayer and you can do what you want, the devil's going to win because you're going to go away thinking you're okay and you're really not. You're not safe. You're not saved if you don't have a desire to do the things of God. And we're going to see that in this text. So that was the beginning that we don't comprehend because he's outside of time. He's eternal. He's always existed. But what does John tell us in 1 John 1.1? That they heard his voice. They seen him with their eyes. They looked upon him and they handled him concerning what? The word of life. He is life. Concerning the word of life. We were born dead, listening to lies. And when you hear Jesus, you come to life. When you hear him, it's all about his voice. This whole planet came to life when it heard his voice and he said, let there be light. And it came alive. It started to move. It started, to, and, and then he begins to separate the waters from, and the firmament. But it's because of his voice. He sent his word to heal the land. He speaks. Listen, it's all about a relationship. 
What happens in a relationship? There's conversation. There's intercourse. Social intercourse is what it's called. We've turned that into sexual and ugly, but really God had that word first, and conversation means social intercourse where the two interchange. And God's the unchanging one, but he wants to change us. So when we talk, when we have a conversation, when I hear his voice and I decide that I am wrong, he's always right, and and he knows me, he already knows what I'm doing, and then I say, well, you know what? You're right. I'm going to follow you, which means to be in the way with him. That means I believe him, I trust him, and I want to walk with him in a relationship so that he can change me into his image, the same thing he did in the garden. See, that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They, They were walking perfectly. He's hearing his voice. Every day, Adam and Eve are walking with God in this perfect communion, this perfect community, this perfect environment. See, because somebody will tell you, listen, somebody will tell you, well, they'll change if you change their environment. Really? Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment. Sin had never happened on earth. They had been given a choice, and they chose to listen to the lie. So it's about choices, not environment. Now, I would suggest if you want to live for Jesus, leave the crack house. If you want to live for Jesus, stop fellowshipping with people that don't. The only thing you want to do with people that don't want to live for Jesus is go to them in love and declare to them what you have seen and heard and touched concerning the word of life. The same thing that these guys did. The 12 disciples he picked. What did they do? They go, well, in the beginning, we heard his voice. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry I'm making a funny of it, but it is that easy. I heard his voice. Then what did you do? We looked at him and said, the Lamb of God. So we went over and started handling him and said, come here, don't get away from us. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look how simple this is. But the devil tells us, You're okay. You already said a prayer. You don't don't really have to hear his voice all the time and look at him and handle him. Well, really? What what are you hearing? What are you looking at? What are you handling? Because that's what you're going to talk about in the workplace. That's what you're going to declare to other people. That's what your actions are going to declare about your heart. This is really simple stuff. Who you fellowship with. And it has to start with fellowshipping with God. But the prescription is a commandment. The prescription is the name of the Son of God. He's the one that is the Savior of the world. He's the one that is the anointed, the Mashiach, to come and take away the sins of the world and to open blind eyes so we can have perfect joy because of the fellowship we have with God. Listen to me. This is really easy, and that's what he wants us to see. Don't listen to some Gnostic that's telling you you have to be able to do that, and you have to be able to do this, and you can't share with your neighbor unless you know the whole Bible. Really? I was once blind, but now I see, and I'm not going to be doing that, and I don't believe that, and I ain't going there, and you ain't going to silence me. I ain't going to shut up, and if you kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. Now what? You didn't win. I already won. I fight from victory, not for victory. It's already finished. What can you do to me? 
See, I was in prison. I used to do that. They'd go, you better quit it. i go, what are you going to do, put me in prison? That's what we used to say to them all the time. What are you going to do, throw me in jail? they go, it's time to go to work. I was late for work every single day in prison. They would come and throw my bed in the floor and go, you didn't make your bed. And I'd go, it ain't my house. You make it. I had a real attitude. They go, you're late for work. I go, I can't be late for work. I live here. I had an attitude. I'm not pointing at me. I'm just saying. But that all changes when you come to Jesus. You didn't really want to know me before I came to Jesus. I wasn't, I'm not very nice now, if you want to know the truth. But I think I'm loving because I'm going to tell you the truth, even if you get mad at me. And that's not because of me. That's because of him. Because listen to me. Listen to me. If you've heard his voice, have you heard the voice of God? See, because that's the only way to get saved. God the Father says, let me introduce you to my son. You know how the father does that with a wedding in these times? They would bring the son to the bride and offer the, to be married, to be wed. So the only way you can know is if the father introduces you to his son. And then if you hear that voice, that's because you heard the voice of God. What? Jesus is Lord? God raised him from the dead? What's going on here? I'm waking up. I'm being roused from my sleep. I have a recovery of spiritual truth. That's resurrection. And you get up and you say, now what? I heard his voice. I'm going to go look for him. You know what? I'm going to search these scriptures and find him. I'm going to see what this means. I'm going to go investigate. I'm going to do an autopatea, an investigation of what the body of Christ means. Because if I was dead and I was going to hell and he died for me, I want to know this love. I want to understand this amazing grace. I want to get in here and look for Jesus. And listen, he's on every page because it's all about him. It's not about you. The problem is we think it's all about us. And that's how come we treat people the way we treat them. Because we're not having fellowship with God. We're having fellowship with self. Religion does that. I've been doing my work. I've been, look what all I've done. If, if you listen to to, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 10, you'll see that even when God called Jehu to judge all the other kings, guess what? Jehu got a bunch of spiritual pride. And he said, hey, come here, Rechabite, Jehonadab. Follow me and I'll show you the zeal of the Lord. Bunch of religion. He was doing the will of God and judging the house of Ahab and Jezebel for bringing Baal worship into Israel and leading the children astray to follow golden calves. And you know what he did? He goes, watch me. Really? We're going to watch you? I thought it was if Jesus be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. I thought it was Jesus who took my judgment. I thought it was Jesus that was lifted up in the wilderness with that bronze snake. It's not about watching somebody and becoming a rock star. It's about keeping your eyes fixed upon fellowship with God. So you look for Jesus. If you're not looking for Jesus, you're probably not saved. You probably haven't heard his voice. And you might need to go and say, hey, hey, Lord, where are you? I want to hear your voice. Remember what happened in the garden? Somebody asked me this morning, said, well, well what were they hearing? What, what, what's going on? Why is he saying? Because God come and he was looking and he's looking for those who will listen and hear his voice. And he says, Adam, and Adam and Eve's hiding because they already followed some false knowledge and they're hiding. 
Adam, where are you? He already knew where God, he already knew where Adam was at. It wasn't like it was a surprise. He knew he was hiding from the fellowship that they were supposed to have. And something had interrupted it like sin, like I followed something else. And he's like, we heard your voice and we were afraid. What did he hear? He heard the voice of God. And you're either going to hide from fellowship with God. And if you hide from fellowship with God, guess what? You'll hide from fellowship with church. If you hide from fellowship with God, you won't show up for Bible study. I'm not trying to intellectually wrangle anybody into it. But when you have heard the voice of God, you'll want to see God. And the only way to see him is in the face of Jesus Christ. So you want to get into scriptures and find Jesus Christ. And one day you want to cross the finish line and see him face to face and not be ashamed. We're going to see here in 1 John. You don't want to see him and be ashamed. You want to see him with no fear because the righteous are bold as a lion. Where are you, Adam? Oh, we were afraid, so we hid ourselves. It interrupted the fellowship because of sin. What's the beauty of that? Salvation pays for sin. Salvation destroys death. Salvation in Jesus gets rid of all that. The payment's already been took. The judgment's been put upon Jesus. Now you don't have to hide from God. You can come and have fellowship with God. You can come and handle him and go, he already knows. Listen, he already knows your sin. He already knows what you're doing wrong. He already knows everything about you and still loves you and died for you. But he doesn't want to leave you there. He's trying to give you a prescription to become like him. To come and live in his house. To come and quit hiding. Quit being afraid. Find out your identity. And you do it. By getting into this word, prayer and fellowship. Did I ever mention that to you? Three-legged stool. No matter what sin you're in, no matter what's going on in your life, the answer is Jesus. The answer is come to him. Don't run from him. How did they get covered? God spooked him out, didn't he? Where are you? Finally, Adam answers. What does God do? You idiot. You ate from the tree of life? You followed your wife? What are you doing, you idiot? No, you know what he did? He killed the very first animals that were ever killed. He made the very first blood sacrifice. The grace of God was right there in the garden. And he said, that's okay. I can fix this. I want you to be in my home. I want you to be with me. I want you to be back in fellowship with me. So I, I had already knew that this was going to happen, and I'm beginning this so that no rebellion ever happens again in my house. There's nobody that ever tries to come up and think that they're smarter than me and have more knowledge than me and they're wiser than me ever again. There's not going to be any more devil when this is finished. He's going to be cast into the abyss forever. And so he gives grace. And so that they don't eternally stay in that sin nature like people will when they're punished for this, the synagogues of Satan and the enemies of the cross. He put two cherubim in the gate of the garden with the flaming sword so they can't come in. Because the tree of life was still in there. And they've already eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They already listened to the liar. And so in his grace, he says, no, I'm not going to let you get to that tree now until... You cross the finish line, and then you can eat from it every month, and it's going to have new fruit on it every month. And you can sup with me, and you can have fellowship with me. See, this is all about fellowship with God. 
So why in the first four verses did he say, we heard his voice? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the way. When you hear truth, that's where faith comes from. And then we turned. Repent. You turn. And you want to see that voice. You want to see where is that coming from? Where is that truth from? Where is that fountain of life? So you turn to that which you have heard and seen with your eyes now and you look upon him. See, this is it's interesting, isn't it? Didn't he, he see him and then he looked upon him? What? Because you ever see something but you don't really see it? I was talking with somebody yesterday. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm telling you his name. He was, he was listening to me, but he wasn't paying attention to me because he had a whole bunch of work to do. But I'm talking with him, but he's gazing past me at all the work he has to do. Listen to me. That happens. Because you can say, oh, I see. And I said a prayer. And I'm saying, wait a minute. Are you looking? It means to gaze at longingly and intently. You're looking now. You're not, you're, not, you're not just seeing that Jesus is Lord, but now you're looking and longing and waiting. And now you're investigating. You're going to go handle what you've been looking at. The next thing you do is you touch it. And our hands have handled. Let me see if I have that defined. It means to verify by contact. That's what handled means, to touch, to search for. And, and at the same time, he's refuting the Gnostics because he's saying, we touched him. And even after he resurrected, we put our hands in the holes, our fingers in the holes of his hands. We touched his side because we were all like doubting Thomas. We all didn't believe that he had rose, so we all were there. Read the gospel. It says that. We always give Doubting Thomas a bad name. But it says, and they all thought the same way. Unless we touch him, we're not going to believe. Unless I see him, I'm not going to believe. Do you believe now, Thomas? Yes. Well, blessed are you, Thomas, that you, that you see and believe. But more blessed are those who do not see and believe. That's faith. That's walking by faith, not by sight. But you listen, you can get in the scriptures you hear the voice. This word is his voice. He's the word of life. He is life. He breathed into Adam and gave him life, into dirt. Investigate it. That's not, that's not, that's not fluid. Investigate it. Same 17 elements that are in the dirt are in your body right now. Different proportions of it, but the same 17 elements. It's factual. It's real science. You can go investigate it. It's not just giving you some facts and saying what everybody knows and then making you peer pressure, fear, follow it because everybody knows. Oh, I want to be in the crowd that knows. No, what is the real truth? Are you investigating? Have you heard his voice? Have you seen with your eyes? I mean, look at your life. You can see. You can look around just the same way you can see evil by, by the permeation of, of evil in areas, how bad they are, how dark they are, the way that people live their life. You can also see Jesus in a life of a person. You can see the evidence of somebody who is fellowshipping and believing God and following truth.
Have you touched him? Has he touched you? Listen to me. This is important stuff. This is not, I said a prayer, I'm okay, I'm going to go live the American dream and do what I want and keep following everything else and think when I die I'm going to heaven. I am not trying to convince you to believe in anything other than the blood of Jesus. But if you believe in the blood of Jesus, you've heard his voice, you've seen what he can do, what he's doing, and you want to handle him. And then what do you want to do, Greg? It's concerning the word of life. He is life. God is life. The devil is death. There was no death until the devil convinced with his knowledge, Eve, that brought about death because the wages of sin is death. The opposites. Jesus is the word. Jesus is life. What did he say in um, 14, John 14, 6? Is that right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. Do you have him? Then it says here in verse 2, the life, what life? The word of life. The life was manifested. It appeared. This is the beginning we want to see. It was born of a virgin birth. Virgin Mary. You guys know what Mary means? Their rebellion. Salvation come out of their rebellion. The Messiah come out of their rebellion. There would be no need for a, for a Messiah unless there was rebellion. Mary means, it comes from the Old Testament Mara, which means bitter. Mary means their rebellion. There's no reason for salvation unless we rebelled against the word of God in the garden and interrupted fellowship with God. So salvation delivers us back into his family, back into fellowship. Oh, wait a minute. Back into a conversation where we can hear his voice and decide whether we want to follow him and build this intimacy. That's your choice. And then declare it to others. What did they do after they heard it? Let's look. The life appeared. That's when Jesus came. He made it known. God is spirit, right? Nobody can see him. He's invisible. He's spirit. But he became flesh. That's, that's still John's gospel. 1.14. That word that was in the beginning, that was with God and was God. 1.14 says, he come to earth. He manifested. He appeared. He took upon flesh. He dwelt among us. It means pitched his tent in the Greek. And we beheld, we looked upon, we seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We were full of lies and death. He's full of grace and truth. He is life. And he gives it to us freely if we will hear his voice, if we will look upon him. Gaze upon him, continue to look to him for all of our needs in life, and then handle him. Put our hands upon him. That's really speaking of your power. You surrender it and you put it upon him. Hands always talk about power. Figuratively about power. Hands literally, it's what you're putting your hands to, the task at hand. So he appeared, and we have seen. He's going to say it again. He says it three times. Why? Because it's important. Listen, I believe when you see Jesus, your life changes. If you don't see him, you don't change because you don't believe. 
You have to see him with your heart. Stop looking with your eyes. Look with your heart into the word of God. And bear witness. All one word, bear witness in the Greek. It means to be a witness, to testify, to give evidence, to bear record. And it means to well report it, to give testimony. Now listen, listen, what is he bearing witness of? It's really important that you know that. Because it's a different word that's going to be in a minute. He's bearing witness that he was in the flesh. He's bearing witness that he appeared. He's bearing witness that they seen him because he's fighting Gnostics. This is different than go out and give witness as a martyr and share the gospel. He's just bearing witness that we heard his voice, we seen him, and we handled him. So he was really in the flesh that just destroyed all your knowledge. See, and that's what truth does. It destroys the lie of the devil. That's what he came for, to destroy the lie of the devil. So when he says bear witness, he's bearing witness that he was here, that he was born, that he was flesh, that he spoke, that we touched him concerning the word of life. He doesn't leave that out. And declared to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest, it appeared to us. Look at John 17. Because I want you to know what eternal life is. John 17. Jesus left the upper room, went across lower Jerusalem, through the grape arbors of 15, gives the thing in 16 about, uh, I'm leaving you, and none of you are even freaking out about it. I'm telling you, I'm leaving you, and I have to go away. It's good for you, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, won't come. But if He comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then He says in 17, after He finishes that with His disciples, He looks up to the Father. He prays. And he's going to pray for himself, then he prays for his disciples, then he prays for you and me in John 17. This is really the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer right here. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, where his help comes from. Oh, that's not in there. Where our help comes from. Oh, that's not in there. And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. This is 17.1, 17.2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give, free gift, eternal life to as many as you have given him. And here it is, verse 3. This is what I wanted to get you to. And this is eternal life. That they may gnosko, they may know you, that they may gnosko. Are you getting that? This is the word that Peter just gave us to know, that they may know, that they may come to know and learn to know and have understanding of who you are because they heard your voice, they seen you, they begin to handle you and have fellowship with you and obey you and walk with you in the garden the same way that Adam and Eve did. Oh, that's not all in there. I'm sorry. Um, this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? Is that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, the Father. See, because that's where we're going to end up. You guys, if you don't know this, Jesus is declaring the Father. That's where we're going to end up at, is with the Father. In the Father's house, back with the Father. It's a house. It's a home. It's a family. That's why marriage is being attacked, because the marriage is attacked because it's the creation of God, and the devil attacked it in the garden. And then what did he do? He attacked family. What, what, the first marriage, he attacked. 
and cause them to sin. Then they had children. He, could you imagine the pain of that? If your son killed your other son? Look at the devastation. Now listen to me, and this will get rid of your annihilation too. Cain slew Abel, and God did not destroy Cain. He sent him away to someplace else separate, and he said, my punishment is too much. See, he sent him away for punishment. There's going to be hell to pay at the end of the day. Nobody's going to be annihilated. They're going to go away out of the light of God, away from the work of God and the creation of God and, the, and what God's doing. But think about that. Then the devil attacks family. Why is it so crazy today, marriage and family? Because it's being attacked by the devil because it's a perfect picture of the fellowship of man with God that was interrupted in the garden. And it's supposed to be restored in Christ and with his people. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, talking to the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Listen to me. How do you do that? By being led by the Holy Spirit to see Jesus and handle him. And that's how he conforms you into that image and brings you back into fellowship so that your joy can be full. But if you go out and all you do is say a prayer and all of your time is out there listening to all the other voices that are saying, turn in here, turn in here. Here's our pseudo knowledge. Here's what's really good. If you get all these toys, you win. If you chase this and this entertainment, you never get to fellowship. You never get to the house of God. You stay over here chasing everything else and hearing all those other voices that are the voice of a lie. It's not the voice of truth. It's the voice of death. It's not life. And you turn to it. You go, I just, oh, yeah, I like that. Sin is good for a season. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to handle that. Or you can begin with God. You can be restored to God. The blood of Jesus brings you back into fellowship with God in his house, under his authority to follow his prescription. Eternal life is to know the Father, and Jesus came to declare the Father's heart, and then he went and sent the Spirit back to declare everything that is Jesus who's already pointing to the Father. And if we receive this and become the bride, then Jesus is going to deliver us back into the Father's house, to his family. Hope you're getting this, because I haven't even got through the first three verses yet. And then he says in verse 3, John 1, 1 John 1, 1, that which we have seen, third time, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. He's letting you know we've seen him, and we heard him, we heard his voice, we declare. They announce it. They bring that word again to everybody. They report it to you. Why, Greg? That you also may have fellowship with us. Come back into the family. A community, communion. Fellowship is koinonia. It means to have all things in common. Well, why would we have all things in common? Because we're putting on the mind of Christ and listening to truth and not to the lie, not the other voices. When you hear the voice, 
You turn and see where the voice came from, and you begin to gaze at it and handle it, and it becomes your life. It becomes your relationship. You have intimacy with God through this. The Spirit leads you into fellowship with God. And when you have fellowship with God, it becomes like a fire in your bones. You have to tell somebody about it and declare it to others and report what you have come to know, that you've been set free. Then you're going to want to have fellowship with his people. Have all things in common. When we sit down, that's why I always say to you guys, I start to talk to other people that say they're Christians, and they know nothing about the word of God, so they have to escape. They have to exit stage left and get out of here right away. Like old snagglepuss. You guys don't know that. You're too young. Um, because they don't have fellowship with God. I, I, I'm just telling you, I cannot judge their salvation, their eternity. I don't know that. But I can epigenoskos. I can tell a tree by its fruit. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Look at the fruit, and I can go, that's an apple tree, that's a peach tree, that's a grapevine. That person's fellowshipping in darkness because they don't know anything about fellowship with God. It's that simple. If you fellowship with God, you hear his voice, you'll want to see what else he's doing, what else he's doing. You'll want to handle him. And when you start doing that, you'll want to declare it. And it's not anything about you. Your sufficiency is in Christ. We have this, this truth in earthen vessels that the excellence may be of his glory, not us. Not, not, not somebody, oh, look what I know. Well, you can know all kinds of stuff, and knowledge puffs up. But what are you going, and what are you doing? How are you living? Are you having fellowship with people? I tell people all the time, I'm an introvert. And they laugh. But you know what? I'm an introvert. I was an introvert in the world, and I did drugs and alcohol to be able to associate with people. But I got saved, and now the Holy Spirit compels me. It's just, what, what is your desire? And the Bible actually tells us, do not be drunk with wine which dissipates, but be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and submit to one another. But when the devil gets in control, he separates us, and we don't have fellowship together. We don't have the mind of Christ. We do our own little thing and we ignore everything else. And our joy is not full. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What's your fellowship with? What do you have all things in common with? Listen. I've made it my aim to know Christ and Christ crucified more than I know anything else in the world. My aim is to know him and to talk with him and to hear his voice and to see his face one day and to handle him. But that's only because of him. It's not because of me. But the more you do it, the more you'll desire it. The more you hear his voice. Listen, he's not disappointed with you. He's not going to punish you for your sin. He already put it upon his son. It would be double jeopardy. You're free to follow him. And if you mess up, just come running to him. I was afraid and I hid myself. Okay, I'm going to cover it with grace. You're okay. He's doing all this. He already knew. He's not disappointed. But as you continue to hear his voice and see him and handle him, you will not want to fellowship in darkness. And we're going to see that that's what these contrasts are. 
We're going to see it next week in this. If we say we, we have the light and we have life and we're fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we know not the truth. We're, it's tough stuff that John puts upon us. And you know what John means? The grace of God. That's what his name means, the grace of God. The grace of God came and brought salvation to us in the face of Jesus Christ, but then the grace of God wants us to see the prescription and learn to walk out our salvation and declare it to others. And that's how our joy is full, when we put Jesus, others, and then yourself. Are you full of joy? Some people are full. It means to satisfy it means to cram full, cup overflowing. It means to furnish fully and completely. Listen, Jesus is enough. He's enough to satisfy your soul. I'll end with this. There was a young preacher in England being raised up by the church fathers brilliant young man great voice brilliant in presentation brilliant singing in the choir but he also liked to be entertained and he went out and he was playing soccer and he got hit in the face in his entertainment having his fun and bit the tip of his tongue off and with that they went oh this is bad now he's not speaking as eloquently. Oh, his singing isn't as good. Oh, we better not raise him up as the next preacher. Oh, man, he was being entertained and bit his tongue off and it messed him up. So he dropped out of church, went to night school, started a rock band, and is inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he has, a, uh, he has the devil tattooed all the way down his body. And he sang the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones bit his tongue playing left the church goes down in history singing songs like Sympathy for the Devil this is not a playground this was not a sermon against soccer either although I don't like it personal opinion it's not, it's not a playground. This is a battlefield for your soul. And the enemy fights with lies and deception. And he wants you to think everything's okay when it's out of control and it's in chaos. But God speaks into this and brings perfect peace and perfect rest and joy. If you'll hear his voice and you'll turn and look to him. And you'll begin to gaze upon him and see the beauty of this salvation, the beauty of his countenance. And then you'll begin to have a relationship of intimacy where you handle him. Listen to me. And then you can bear fruit. Really. It's, it's important that you understand that conversation is intercourse because you cannot bear fruit without having a conversation with God and hearing his voice. You cannot bear fruit. And we're spirits in a body, not bodies with a spirit. And we're supposed to bear fruit, and it's supposed to remain, John tells us. But only when you're having social intercourse with God and then declaring it to others. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for new beginnings. 
May today be one in our hearts. May we hear your voice daily, moment to moment. Be led by your spirit. May we see you high and lifted up in our lives. May we gaze upon your beauty. May we handle you. May you touch us and may we go touch others with your truth. Thank you for such a great salvation. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I